Welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, Connor Rebish. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by a featherweight bout between Sadiq Youssef and Edson Barboza. Right now we're talking about the prelims and a featured prelim between, am I reading this right? Yes. Darren Elkins <laughs> and TJ Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I get it. Chris Gutierrez, his fight with Pedro Munoz, not a great showing. Mm-hmm. But whose cereal did he piss in to have a fight with Alatang Haley get absolutely yeah. buried in like an opener between? Ashley Yoder and Irina Alexeva mm-hmm. while Darren Elkins versus TJ Brown gets a featured prelim spot. And that's no hate to Darren Elkins, but even the late career, I can't believe the damage is still out there doing the thing. Heyday of Darren Elkins mm-hmm. was like two or three years ago. If not more yeah I, I don't know i mean you know i like tj brown i know you like tj brown everybody and, and you're starting to get it now right? i i i'm starting to get i i understand i understand at the very least that he is a hard-working creative fighter who is missing some core skills to compete at a high level which makes him easy easy fodder for a favorite because that's right yeah, I you know I've been trying to explain this this to people lately with the Mariners who aren't baseball fans, but the Mariners are really one of the perfect teams out there to root for. And this is a baseball team. This is a baseball team. <laughs> it's uh, nine people on a on the side at a time. There's a bat, a ball, bases are involved. Um, but the the Mariners are always. They're never actually good. They're always really good for a short amount of every season. And you always feel like next year they're going to be really actually honestly good. (laughs) Okay. So every year starts with the Mariners are absolutely abysmal to start the season. Then somewhere in the middle of summer, they get red hot. And you're like, oh, man, they're playing great. Long winning streak, suddenly t- like top of the division. They're going to they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to be mm-hmm. great this year. They're they've turned it around. And then last month of the season, usually they just tank mm-hmm. totally. And you walk away and you're like, yeah, but you think about that that month in the middle of the season they're going to be great next year. Like they can just build on that. They're going to turn and next year starts out. They are terrible. And then they turn it around and then they tank. And then you walk away and you think, yeah, but next season. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the perfect kind of fandom experience. You don't want a team that's eternally awful. Who's a Yankees fan though. Exactly. That's the other thing. Like you don't want teams eternally awful or eternally great. 
because then you are just looking you're you're always getting the same the same old like oh you're either just a bandwagoner who jumps on whatever team is good you're a patriots fan yeah 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 how sad is that yeah, our producer has just announced in chat yeah. that she's a Yankees fan, but she's from New York. I guess she has or, an excuse. But, or God help you, you live in Ohio. Yeah, imagine. And all of your sports teams, like, that is, there are no teams that just get used to sucking forever. Like, yeah. there's no good part. Well, at least we got a- the, see, the Bengals fans have the Browns. They're like, yeah. you know what? We are not the worst team in Ohio. Yeah. That's the eternal consolation. Although, Bengals were like good, and I think kind still of. are. Um, well, didn't they make it to the Super Bowl? Oh, did they? Didn't with Joe Burrows? They lost, but didn't oh, they yeah, make yeah, it yeah. to You're the right. Super they, Bowl? They, they had did. a really, You're really right. good year, and they have one of the best players the in the league. The Bengals have been so bad for so long that I forgot that they like <laughs> they made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, and I've I've been told the Reds are having a good year, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't pay attention to any of these sports. I pay attention to the sport that's for losers who don't like sports. Yeah, which is uh, MMA, and now I guess chess. Yeah, <laughs> a real loser sport. But uh, my point being, TJ Brown, he's he's right there in that Mariners yeah. mold. Mm-hmm. Like you watch him, there's a moment in every fight where you're like, man, he's really. He's found something, and then it all blows up, and you're like, yeah, but the next fight, yeah. he's going to figure it all out. But he's always right there. He's always right there. He's always... Yeah. And if you don't recognize that, then he will consistently surpass your expectations. Exactly, yeah. Like, wait a minute, isn't this, is this, this guy's bad, I thought. No, not yeah. really. He's not really good, but he's not really bad. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know what Chris Gutierrez did. <laughs> I like DJ Brown. I guess Darren Elkins is a bit of a fan favorite, mostly for his ability to get his ass kicked harder than anyone on the planet. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like, uh, uh I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, don't know. Chris yeah, Gutierrez is the second, basically curtain jerker slot. Those feel kind of strange. It, it does. I mean, even even Terrence McKinney under like Elkins Brown, like Elkins Brown is a, a fight I would imagine headlining the prelims like seven years ago. Yeah. I mean, one fight removed from dusting Frankie Edgar. Yeah, exactly. For Gutierrez, like mm-hmm. man put together a serious run. So anyway, we're talking about Darren Elkins versus TJ Brown right now. And how and, not really particularly good do you need to be to beat Darren Elkins at this point? That's is the, question. the question. Is it like how how far or how close to the end is Darren Elkins that yeah. somebody can beat him fighting exactly the wrong fight? Yeah. Or another way of phrasing that, how much better is TJ Grant than Tristan Connolly? TJ Brown than Tristan Connolly. Is is TJ Brown than Tristan Connolly? Yeah, I just, I just got sad thinking of TJ Grant. Missed that yeah. guy. He was good. <laughs> he was good. Uh, how much better is TJ Brown than Tristan Connolly? And I think I would say considerably enough. He, he's a better athlete, certainly. I I don't know that he had, Connolly had an actual like tactical mind for the game. Well, and he Connolly. It kind of also has that Billy Quarantillo thing, which is like, and some insanity. Yeah, you're not going to do anything that's going to make him think this isn't all still leading to him winning the fight. Yeah, 
Um, but you know, I think the training neck injury Connolly had probably yeah did more to damage his self confidence than any knockout loss ever could. Because when Connolly came back from that, he looked like he was not yeah. nearly as willing to get punched in the head. Yeah. Um, and I think TJ Brown has some of that too. That the problem here really for TJ Brown is that he's too easy to take down. He's very willing to fight off his back too. Yeah, and he is a good grappler. And sometimes when he is offensively wrestling, it'll be like the thing that kind of keeps him in the fight or even wins yeah. in the fight. Um, but you shouldn't be easy to take down against Darren Elkins. Yeah. It is like the one part of Darren Elkins' game that still works. Yeah. But isn't it so easy to see him beating Darren Elkins? Like oh, even shit. you have to acknowledge, like Darren Elkins yeah. is a shell of himself. His janky, janky striking has only gotten jankier. Yeah. He's still incredibly hateable. He's easier to hurt than he used to be. Much easier to hurt than That him. is a real concern for Darren it, Elkins. It is. Because he needs his durability. Yeah. To survive. Um, and Darren Elkins himself has never really been a good takedown artist so much as he is a dogged one. Um, you know, like I think Darren Elkins, I'm not looking at the stats right now. I'll pull them up, but I'm pretty sure he's like 20% on takedowns attempted or something. I mean, he would have to be, he's in that Damian Maya territory where you're like, okay, you know what? A decent wrestler, but does so much of it so often. And so many people know exactly what's coming. Yeah. it just has to get shut down Yeah, by and large. Yeah, his, his takedown accuracy is 34%. 34%, yeah. You can look at a lot of Darren Elkins fights where it's like, oh, he won this with his wrestling, and then you look at the stats. Like even he, Tristan Connolly, that was 5 of 10 taken attempts. He shoots a lot and has to shoot a lot to get wanna, the takedowns. You want to hear some ridiculously wild shit that let's, let's hear tells it. you everything you need to know about where Grant Dawson is and what he needs to really work on to save his goddamn life? Shoot as many takedowns as Darren Elkins? <laughs> Darren Elkins' striking defense is 51%. Ooh, better it's than Grant Dawson's. Five percentage points better <sighs> than Grant Dawson. That's a death warrant right there. Right. <laughs> you cannot be more hittable than Darren Elkins. You can't. You can't. Yeah, so, that's rough. That's a rough stat. Right? Because no matter how you want to cut that, Darren, we're talking even with late career Darren Elkins. Yeah. He is still right now less hittable than Grant Dawson. Yeah, we're talking a Darren Elkins who got hit 110 times by Jonathan Pierce. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it is... <sighs> this has the right ingredients of a fight that a classic Darren Elkins would win. Just that TJ Brown is... Uh, can get, you know, he can be really sharp, but he can also get really wild. He's excitable. Yeah, it is. Like I say, this is how this is the question here really to me is how far gone is Darren Elkins that a fight I would pick him in every day yeah. is out, getting out of his reach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Which way are you leaning? <laughs> I'm leaning towards Elkins, if I'm being honest. I, th- I just think Brown and like a willingness to work off your back, a willingness to 
you know, fight in bad positions grappling wise is just going to give Elkins the safety net he needs that even if he's getting hurt and busted up, he will be able to soak up enough of the round to win it. Yeah. So I'll pick him. Yeah. Man, it should be such a simple strategic adjustment, though. Yeah, well. You know, well, well, fuck it. I'm just going to pick TJ Brown. Sure, yeah. I think if he just comes in and is, like, as aware as literally everyone should be that, like, all Darren Elkins can do to win is to take him down. Um, Because Darren Elkins used to have a, used to be, like, sneakily effective on the feet against a lot of people, too. He was, uh, he... He was Alexi Alinek with a better wrestling game. Yeah. In like you're like, okay, this striking is ugly as hell, but I'm people are so worried about what grappling he can do, he could actually club some people with his hands. Yeah, and he would put combinations together. Mm-hmm. Uh would fire, you know, set up kicks with his hands and would counter. Yeah. And, you know, he was just fearless. So like he would just wade forward slinging, you know, three, four punches in a row. And he had a jab, you know, like yeah. he would be annoyingly effective against people who. And, and I think he's lost that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is we're we're past the point that was late career. Oh, I'm surprised he's still de- doing decent. Darren Elkins. We are now well past that point. That was sort of like uh, that. That realistically, even in the bit middle of that big loss streak. Yeah, that was the uh, Dennis Bermudez versus Nate Landwehr 2017 uh-huh. to 2020 years of Darren Elkins. The last few years, it's either you are totally susceptible to his, what was his A game in the past, yeah. or he's just going to get annihilated. Yeah. Man, he did just like instantly take Jonathan Pierce down. And Pierce is a good wrestler and a good scrambler in a way that Brown isn't. Yeah. I can't pick him. I'm going to pick TJ Brown. Everything yeah. says everything says this is not the kind of fight TJ Brown should win, but everything also says Darren Elkins has uh, to be done. There has to be a point where just all the wheels are off this and yeah. You know that Elkins will keep he will be he will be the dude in a police chase driving down the highway on four rims with yeah. sparks flying off of it. Yes. But yeah, uh, whatever. I, Brown is, I think, too potent a striker, too good a combination puncher. All he has to do is just spend the entire camp being like, "Don't get taken down yeah. and don't accept position." Because that's yeah. the other thing. Do not, just do not try to punch Darren Elkins while he is taking you down. Fight yes. the two down, separate, and go back to striking. Yeah, that's Keep it. A jab in his face, hit him to the body. Um, yeah, I'm going to pick him, but it's obviously it's, it's way chancier than it should be given how far Darren Elkins has fallen. Elkins is at plus or opened at plus 188. He's currently at plus 155. We're all struggling with this math right now mm-hmm. out there. Apparently Brown opened at minus 214. He's currently minus 175. Except so, that it's trending close. Yeah, it should be getting closer and closer. All right. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight fight Tainara Lisboa Ravina Oliveira and uh, yeah this is a fight 
this is one of those fights where you watch tape on one person and you're like, ah, oh, they're not uh-huh. winning this. And then uh-huh. you put the tape on their opponent, and you're like, okay, back to the first tape. Yep. Um, seems seems we get into this uh, this situation very often when the UFC is unfortunately when they're signing new female fighters. Yeah, you know, like the the landscape for women's MMA is just very uneven, and the yeah. sort of skill set that that a lot of these women come into the sport with, the backgrounds that they have compared to the male athletes. Oh, it it really sucks that like. Invicta was doing great work for a long time. Yeah. Playing a really good fundamental framework of like, here is where people can come, get experience, learn the game, be ready to make the jump to the UFC. Yep. And it seemed like the UFC was like, they were sponsoring some Invicta contracts. There was a close working relationship there. And I don't know at what point that business relationship soured a little i don't know if it ever did sour maybe it was never as close as it looked but invicta checked out a fight pass and we are seeing fewer fighters make the leap directly from invicta to the ufc i mean perhaps it was always more of an adversarial relationship than we assumed that's what the I UFC said, just it was never as close as it looked maybe yeah, it was just up- poaching i mean because what yeah. they did is they just poached all of invicta's top talent nobody was yeah. like an invicta champion for more than one defense before the yep. ufc signed them and of course they're going to go because even as pitiful as ufc paid uh pay is uh, relative yeah. to their income, they pay more than Invicta, and there's a way, uh, there's a much higher ceiling to climb yeah. to. Everybody wants to be in the UFC. But the, the thing I was going to say is that, like, and unfortunately, it seems like we've almost kind of regressed a little for women's MMA now, where you're just yeah. kind of picking up random people who are like the one or two f- women fighting on some random regional circuit. Yeah. And they're just trouncing the cans that are on that circuit set up for them to trounce. Yeah. And they're not facing any real competition and they're getting picked up cold and thrown into the deep end. And yeah, it just feels like there was a chance to build something that really fed healthy competition. Mm -hmm. And that just got rejected after a while. Mm -hmm. A chance for a symbiotic relationship that is, has died, which is all to say that uh, Tainara Lisboa did okay, not great against a thoroughly shot version of Jesse, Jessica Rose Clark. Yeah, it's very difficult to draw anything from. She outbrawled Jessica Rose Clark, but Clark's confidence in her striking is gone. And then she didn't. Uh, you know, get overwhelmed on the ground, even ended up choking Jessica Rose Clark out eventually for the mm-hmm. win. But also just because Clark's confidence in anything. Honestly. In everything. Yeah. She's just a, she is unfortunately just a broken fighter. Yeah. But it wasn't a thing where like Lisbo was making a bunch of great reads. Yeah. Or, you know, not getting taken down or showing a lot of good defense or anything like that, or a lot of slick technical stuff. It was just, she had confidence and Clark does not. Mm -hmm. But Oliveira is just raw. Yeah. 
I mean, like, she's 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 fierce, you know. She goes out there and she slings yeah. hard shots, and she's confident and tying up with women and and uh, and. But it's just complete grab bag mess. Like, yeah. There is Liz Boa is clearly a sharper striker than Oliveira, and probably a sharper grappler too. I don't know. Neither woman can wrestle, so I don't even know that it's that important. Yeah. Like, Oliveira is purely an upper body, I put you on the cage, can I just, with pure power alone, hulk you to the floor? And at five foot five, coming into bantamweight, she's probably going to find out pretty quickly that she needs to drop a division to fight in the UFC. Mm-hmm. So, I'm picking Tainara Lisboa. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's nope. just two very raw fighters facing off against one another. I'm feeling the same way. I mean, there's no way that Oliveira is not just going to have a bunch of, she, she can't not have exchanges with people. Yeah. And, uh, Lisboa was good enough, um, in her fight with, uh, Norma Dumont to like actually land some counters on her. Mm-hmm. She's a, a sharper, quicker, straighter puncher. She has some notion of how to throw shots away or faint to set up the shot. She really wants to land. And, um, Dumont, I think, was significantly bigger than her and still not having an altogether easy time out wrestling her. Yeah. Um, so I just think she's she's just got a more developed game and, and probably a, a higher physical ceiling than Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Who, um, yeah, like I said, she's uh, she's scrappy, Oliveira, but at the moment that seems to be really all she has. Yep. Yeah. So it's, uh... take, taking Lisboa as well. It should be a very messy fight. Mm-hmm. Liz Boa is a big favorite, far bigger than she should be. Opened at minus 332, is currently at minus 329. Oliveira is opened at plus 279, is currently at plus 276. Like, I get that she's bigger and she's won a fight in the UFC now, and that Oliveira is very messy, but mm-hmm. there's not a lot separating these women. Yeah. At all. Um, all right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Terrence McKinney, Brendan Marot. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess uh, this was supposed to be Terrence McKinney versus Chris Duncan, which would have been interesting. I like the wrinkles Duncan showed to his game. Yeah. Recently. Mm-hmm. And they just found a guy to fill in for him. They found a guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's tough that uh, you look at a Terrence McKinney fight and you still have to think, like, maybe this guy can beat him if he can survive. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about fighters who are broken, obviously in a very different way from Jessica Rose Clark. Yeah. But Terrence McKinney is uh, one of the purest one-round fighters I can remember seeing. He really is. In quite a long time. And he he has tried to broaden his skill set. He, he has, does not fundamentally seem to understand what the problem is. No, he doesn't. Exactly. He's tried to broaden his skill set uh, and has had more fights recently where he has started to instantly try to out-wrestle people and out-grapple them. And no matter what different approach he tries, they are all one-round performances. Yep. 
he cannot dial down the intensity or the anxiety or whatever it is he's feeling that he can't seem to to reckon with that will allow him to to just be calm and to like have any ability to win rounds rather than just instantly winning fights yeah because if he doesn't instantly win it seems to be a wide variety of opponents who will come back to beat him I, I think it's probably coming from a wrestling background like he does. I think there's a, a reluctance from some wrestlers to view striking as like an art you need to specialize in so much as it is like a necessity that you have to tack on to your game. Mm-hmm. You know, just like there are a lot of strikers who don't, who view grappling as like, oh my God, I have to do this mm-hmm. thing so I don't get submitted. I think there are a lot of wrestlers who are like, okay, I have to learn some striking so that I don't just get knocked out. Mm-hmm. And even if they are not awful at it, they just don't ever approach it beyond that level. And McKinney seems like he has a striking game where you like you watch him throw like one punch and you're, you see how fast it comes out. And you're like, oh, man. That's something mm-hmm. to be built on here. But you actually look at the fundamentals that he possesses when he has to mix up strikes with somebody for any length of time. Mm-hmm. And it's just so clear that he is not comfortable with any part of it. Yeah. Like uh, like the Tyron Woodley problem, which yeah. you know he quite candidly spoke about. Like, I don't like getting hit. And I don't like, yeah. uh, I don't like um, the feeling that I'm going to like – uh, he always was wary of gassing. Yeah. He was so low output because the eternal discomfort he felt on the feet would cause him to gas. Yeah. Uh, almost no matter what the pace of the fight was, it was just the intensity of every single encounter. Yeah. Uh, was draining, you know, and to be uncomfortable on the feet is a, is an extremely draining experience. Mm-hmm. All these little, every little tense movement you make you know, every, every step you take, every uh, punch you block, like if you are every tense breath, and un- every breath you take, <laughs> um, it, it 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 everything becomes ten times more taxing than you think it should be because of the duress that you're under and the overall tension of your body. And yeah, that's just what McKinney has, and it's probably as part of what makes him so dangerous when he connects because that man is muscle and everything. Yeah. But it's also what makes him so unsustainable. But it, this is the thing: is that if it's because of his wrestling background, the prospect that he might get beaten up, he might get hit, st- seems to carry over even when he's trying to wrestle people. Because that was his yeah. attempted solution: is like, well, I guess I should go back to wrestling people. He's still a one-round fighter. Yeah. Um, he he should he should be able to to knock out Brandon Murat. Yeah. Marat, you you look at his record, and it's very notable that he has been a combat zone fighter for pretty much, you know, he he fought a few other places as an amateur, but even as an amateur, most of his fights were in combat zone. And he jumped over with them early in his pro career and has been with them for most of the time ever since. And he has every bit the feeling of a local draw who was perfect, is perfectly built to be good in his local area. 
like uh god what was his name mr tachi palace uh the tachi kid oh who was that poppy's martinez yeah poppy's martinez was the tachi kid and he was like you fight him in tachi palace he was going to win a lot of fights there. They were really well-picked opponents. He even beat, like, he beat Christos Jagos in Tachi Palace and all that. But, like, the game is super limited. The athletic ceiling super limited, all that. And I can't help but watching and, you know, watching Brandon Marat work and feeling like there's just not a lot of athleticism here. His striking is very, you know, it's very nuts and bolts, very unambitious. And it doesn't really flow. There's no flow to his game. So he has to strike his way into a clinch, work the clinch into takedowns, and just kind of piece everything together and on the way he can be hit at any point and hurt at any point so yeah it's a style like that that's just so i don't know compartmentalized and not very smooth in its transitional functional elements i just like it's made for terrence mckinney to just yeah blow the doors off of him marat seems like the kind of fighter who really has to be able to get you suckered into, you know, like, oh, I'm striking and now I get to work into my clinch and I get to work into my grappling and to doing all the things in order to win. Mm -hmm. That I, you know, McKinney can just be like, oh, I'll hit you really hard right now. And I've seen like Barack get hit really hard and he just shells up and backs off. Yeah, he responds really, really poorly to pressure. Yeah, so... Um. I just don't think like it's just an open invitation for McKinney to just go, go ham on him. And that'll be the end of it. Yeah. Pretty much how I feel. Um, very disconnected game. The th- this is the thing with Terrence McKinney is like, if somehow he doesn't clean Marat's clock in round one or submit him in round one, even a guy like Marat yeah. might be able to make something sure. happen just by, having a variety of different ideas and still being there. McKinney will self-destruct. He will. But he is also like, if you're not that tough, yeah. McKinney is a very dependable finisher. Absolutely. And I mean, like very nearly finished Drew Dober. Yeah. And being not that tough, like, you know, guys like Mike Breeden were reasonably tough on the regional scene or uh you know if far as ziam those kinds of fighters Mm -hmm. and mckinney is still he's a good enough finisher that he will just reliably if you're just kind of an okay average dude he will he will wreck you Mm -hmm. you have to be an actually good high level tough capable fighter Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i just don't see that in marat 
Yep, me neither. I see a dude who got insulated by a regional promotion that wanted a ticket seller. Yep. That's how it feels. Uh, odds on the fight. Those books that are offering it, that fight just got put together, are offering McKinney anywhere, opening at about like minus 500 to minus or minus 450 to minus 550 range. Marat currently being offered in the plus three, 350 or plus 300 to plus 400 range. Mm. So, I mean, as much as every single one of McKinney's wins look like minus 500 fights, he probably should look like minus, <laughs> yeah. minus 500 he, fights. He probably should never be favored that heavily against anyone. Yeah. I'm not going to tell anybody to put money on Brandon, Brendan Marat, but no, you don't. know, find a way to, to 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 splash a little bit on a Terrence McKinney TKO loss or you know inside the distance loss in any fight is never the worst idea in the world. Yeah, has McKinney even uh, lost a decision ever? No, no. What? How, how would he get there? I know that's the thing. Yeah, he, he even would, has a couple he, first round to finish losses, but every win and every loss is a finish yeah he he if if terrence mckinney ever saw the end if he heard the third round clapper yeah he would break his own leg like God, he he has a round three heel hook win over brandon todd this man 18 i need to see that fight this man would tie a belt to the side of the cage and choke himself <laughs> if that's what it took to get him out of there inside the distance. Yeah. Like, yep. Might, he, might get himself finished in more ways than one. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's, this isn't, uh, this isn't Michael Johnson. We're talking about. Yeah. But <laughs> this, you know, I'm just saying like the dude, he's never going to see a third round. Well, like I said, he has seen it once. Every single finish, round one. Every single win, yeah. round one. Most of the losses, either round one or round two. Yeah. But he has one. His only win that has gone, or fight that has gone past round two, is a third round heel hook in his fourth pro fight. I have to know how bizarre and hideous that fight was. Yeah. What happened yeah. there? Yeah, he truly is. Like, except for that one bizarre anomaly, a purely one-round fighter throughout his entire career. Yeah, and that is a career that goes all the way back to 2017. It's you know it's he's had remarkable. 20 fights. The man is he is as he is as about as meme fighter as meme fighters get. Yeah, he's had 20 fights. He's been fighting for six or seven years, and he's 29 years old, and he is like has never changed no he fights like he is 22 and just started six months ago <laughs> oh yeah our producer is noting that i i'm having a bunch of construction work done so there's nothing we can do about it in your apartment yes oh it is actually i forgot it is actually in your apartment. Yeah. i was making a joke but that's accurate <laughs> yeah no it's actually just right next to me yeah, anyway somebody, it sounds like somebody is sawing down your desk chair as we yes say. that is actually the work that they're having done is they are <laughs> cutting my chair cutting me out of my chair yeah too many podcasts yeah. <laughs> ass is just permanently affixed yep 
to a $90 desk chair. I had to call a contractor and be like, I need you to, I had to have like three bids too. That was a really humiliating thing. Is <laughs> There was a, a bidding war. Yeah. I had to like get one guy in and he came in really high and I'm like, no, nah, I got to get some more people coming in. So you, you know, I mean, it was a long process, but in the end of the, at the end of the day, yeah, I, I went with the day laborer that uh, <laughs> we, we picked up at Home Depot. My wife put me in the back of a pickup truck and <laughs> trabajo, trabajo. <laughs> One guy. Yep. Yeah. So well, that's, that's what's you. going on for, you, for those of you at home listening to our podcast, hearing noise. Well, that's good. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Soon. <laughs> Soon. I expect this will be the last thing we ever record together. You'll be free. Yeah, that's right. Finally, my <laughs> imprisonment are over. All right. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight fight. Irina Alexeva, Melissa Dixon. And um, yeah, we we're talking about this with Tainara Lisboa and mm-hmm. Ravina Oliveira. But uh, I, I'll say first, Alex Eva impressed a bit against uh, Stephanie Egger. Mm-hmm. Is Egger is certainly a fighter that is beatable if you just go after her and punch her a bunch and absolutely don't fall into the to bullshit traps of having to clinch with her. Mm-hmm. And Alex Eva did that long enough to get Egger really desperate, and then rolled for a knee bar. And that was not a great look, but it worked. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Melissa Dixon basically just got her ass beat in her last fight and then turned it around with one takedown. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick Alexiva. Yeah, at, me too. At least Alexiva has, at least she has some intensity to her striking. Yeah. Uh, some speed because of that. Um, look, I, I think uh, Melissa Dixon, you know, she doesn't look like she couldn't improve. Oh, she yeah. is, you know, she's got some decent fundamentals, but she's very slow. Yeah, she's very slow. And right now she's very much in that, that space that really raw fighters are often in. I'm, I was going to say women, but it's actually just, it's a general, yes. all fighters, um, especially those who don't come from to MMA from a hardcore boxing or kickboxing background. Mm-hmm. Literally the only place that Melissa Dixon is comfortable in a fight is in top control. Yeah. Or, or yeah, slightly more comfortable in the clinch, which she will look for out of a lot of different striking engagements. But even then I'm just saying in top, yeah. that is the one comfortable place where you can see suddenly Melissa Dixon's like, Oh, okay. You enjoy this part of the fight and only she, this. She knows she's safe there. I mean, it makes sense. It's yeah. not like we're knocking fighters for feeling no. this way. It's no. MMA is, it can be pure chaos literally everywhere. Yeah. Uh, unless you are sitting on top of somebody holding them down. And it actually is a bad sign to me in that, that in the fight she had in Aries against, uh, Daria Zeleznikova. Uh huh. That she immediately transitioned to mount mm-hmm. and tried to win the fight. And well, she did win the fight there in Ground and Pound out of mount because 
one of the things that is I've been noticing a ton lately in the MMA meta, mm-hmm. mount is no longer a fundamental fun, functional position. Well, I mean, it is. I think the thing is, is that a lot of fighters, it's it's really easy to get overexcited in mount. Um, and it's different than in grappling because in, you know, mount is is obviously a good position to punch somebody's face into dust. Yeah. Um, but that is not an option in grappling. And so I think a lot of people struggle to make that transition. It's It's also a super dominant position in grappling. But because you're not thinking of anything except maintaining the position, um it's it doesn't feel like you're as sweepable in grappling yeah you have to be rock solid to actually start letting the punches go because as dominant as mount is it's nowhere near as easy to secure as yeah. it's, it's a highly half guard position say. yeah and because the opponent has the opponent has both their legs you know like yeah. there are types of mount where you can take that away but you're sitting on their center of gravity and they have the strongest appendages on their body right there in position to buck you off. It's a very simple proposition to sweep somebody out of mount if they're not aware of it and instantly ready to post and to take that away. Even with very good fighters in the UFC these yeah. days, fighters are just good enough off their back anymore that I feel like 95% of the time I see a mount, somebody get mount in the UFC the next thing you see, I see is they, them getting swept. Yeah. And it's just like, saying, the, it's the easiest kind of sweep to hit. It's just an upa. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that like, you know, I, this isn't me trying to like, Ooh, lay some big trip on people that the mount is an easy position to get swept out of. It's just more than ever. Now I'm looking at somebody like Dixon having the instant impulse to transition to mount right. on the ground as when she gets to the UFC and faces better competition, if that is her first impulse, she's very likely not going to control the position she ends up in. Yeah. So I, yeah, I kind of feel like there's a good chance, even if Dixon does get a takedown, she'll get swept pretty fast. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to take Alex, Alex, uh, Alex Eva. Yeah, me too. For, for all the same reasons. Alexiva is the underdog here, kind of wildly. Open that is surprising. Why? Why? I don't know. Jumped She's to just... plus 111 is currently at plus 133. She just won her UFC debut. She's in there yeah. against somebody still making their... I don't understand that. And Edgar is has all the same skills as Dixon, but more of them. Like She's bigger and stronger, and yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. Like they're both terrible strikers, but Egger is the much better fundamental grappler. Mm-hmm. Dixon opened at plus one hundred seven, dropped to minus one twenty, and is currently at minus one forty-seven. I do not okay. understand it at all. Is there like a camp association here going on? I don't know. I don't see it. Yeah. Oh, she's and I'm not particularly impressed with Alex Sava. And I'm, don't don't make don't don't mistake yeah. me. Just uh I'm also not impressed with Dixon. Yeah. So anyway. All right. That brings us to honestly the best prelim fight on this card by a mile. Mm-hmm. Chris Gutierrez versus Alatang Haile. Yeah, and a pretty fundamentally fun style matchup. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, we just saw um, Alatang Ailee against uh, Chad and Helliger, yep. who was trying to play the role of slick counterpuncher and, and, you know, got some nice shots off, as you will, against somebody yeah. who is uh, pushing in and, and just pushing their face into range repeatedly and trying to corner you. Yep. But, um, you know, and Helliger, not as good as Chris Gutierrez. Yeah. Gutierrez, far better footwork, much, much stronger defensive striker. Much more, much more dynamic in his shots that he selects, too. Absolutely. Um, has much better control weapons, namely his jab, but also his low kicks, and yeah. is better defensively against low kicks, which is one of the uh, tactics that uh, Alatang Ailey found. Yeah. On Ann Helliger, who was continually sort of getting low in his stance and looking to slip and rip. And uh, he was just able to chop his leg uh, many times in that fight. Um, I got to favor Gutierrez here. Yeah. And Helliger has, there, or Alateng Heli, rather, has, like, there are shadows of, uh, like, a Pedro Munoz-like sure. game that he could play. Yeah. But he's never or very rarely been the kind of sellout striker that Munoz is when he's at his best. Yeah. And doesn't have the consistency of application that Munoz does. Yeah. Uh, and that are... was a particularly consistent performance from Pedro Munoz. Yeah. Uh, it took a really, really uh, constant intensity of like simmering pressure to keep Gutierrez so cautious. Yeah. Which is definitely, I mean, as somebody who will play off the back foot against an aggressive fighter, he's the guys who do really, really well in that matchup are not as cautious fundamentally as Chris Gutierrez. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we've also seen Gutierrez against a less consistent type of aggressive approach, like against uh, uh, Batcher Aldana. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he ended up getting into some trouble. This, I mean, this is always the most fun style matchup, pressure fighter, counter puncher. Yeah. Because both guys are getting the fight they want. And therefore, it's always very double-edged. But um, it was a really good showing from Pedro Munoz. Super consistent across the rounds. Really varied threat uh, that he was constantly presenting Gutierrez with. And if you don't have that level of uh, workmanlike consistency, then you see fights where, yeah, Gutierrez can find something big or can just chip away at you and frustrate you constantly. Yeah, the big uh, thing that, for me with Alex and Haile is that he just has long, he has long periods where he doesn't really look like he's sure what approach he should take. Right. What to do with the pressure that he wants to create. He'll do a lot of stepping in and testing that middle distance without yeah. committing to anything. And that has, it has, multi, you know, a couple of times in his career in the UFC and probably multiple times early in his career when he lost a whole bunch of fights, mm -hmm. it leaves him open to just getting outworked and yeah. outlanded. And that's really the thing that a, a guy like Gutierrez has that uh, Ann Helliger did not. Yeah. Gutierrez has a bunch of stick and move tools. You do not need yeah. to be, uh, walking into the counter aspect of his game constantly. Mm -mm. Uh, in fact, he would prefer it if you weren't. Yeah. 
Uh, because if you're st stuck at range, if you're measuring, if you're fainting, that is when you're ripe for his jab and his, and especially his low kicks, uh, which yeah. he remains one of the best low kickers in the sport right now. Really consistent, uh, really tricky, doesn't throw all of them full power. He kind of has the, a similar low kicking game to um, uh, Tarek Safadine. Mm hmm. You know, we'll we'll That's measure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll draw out your defenses and then fire a, a another low kick, but at a different target from a different angle, really flexible uh, in that one slice of his game. And he will just rip you to pieces, basically, if you unless you are really trying to take that aspect of his game away. And, and to do that, you have to be, again, as Pedro Munoz was super consistent with the pressure. Yep. So, yeah, I'm taking Gutierrez. He didn't look great in his last showing, but he is a good fighter. Yeah. Gutierrez is a big favorite here. Opened at minus 194, currently at minus 346. Hi, Al, uh, Al, Al Tang Haile opened at plus 172, currently plus 289. It's too bad, too, because this is a fight that I think, like, these are the kind of fights I want to see uh, Al Tang Haile get. He's mm -hmm. been really consistently performing well and had to be you know, kind of down facing Kevin Kroom and Chad Anheliger and guys like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had a really good competitive fight with Casey Kenny not that mm -hmm. long ago where, when Kenny was up right around the top 15 too. Mm -hmm. So it's it's been the kind of fights that I feel like he's he should have been getting, but to just bury it down here in no man's I land. I know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. No, nope, I don't understand it. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. I like him a lot as a fighter. Yeah. Um, and who knows, you know, maybe Gutierrez is a little shaky after that last performance. Sure. Maybe Alatang Haile saw things there that he can build on. If he did some tape yeah. study, it's like, okay, well, I see what works. Yeah. It's certainly a style of fight that it seems pretty practical for him to mold himself into. Yeah, he's got solid power. He's a decent athlete. He can change up his approach. He can he's counter got low punch. kicks, got body punches. Yeah, yeah he can be aggressive counterpuncher mode. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff uh, he can do. It's just for him usually a process of getting overly, kind of getting stuck, like taster's choice kind of thing of like, or, uh -huh, yeah, uh -huh. where it's just, I don't know, what do I want to do? I want to try this. I want to try that. Uh, maybe, you know, and just like letting somebody else do work while he's in that mode. What do they call that? Uh, analysis paralysis. Yeah, analysis paralysis. Too many, too many choices. All right. That brings us to a, a woman's strawweight bout, Ashley Yoder, Emily Ducote. Oh, my Emily Ducote. Yeah. How you have failed to pan out as a yeah. UFC fighter. <laughs> very frustrating. And I don't mean that like I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated with her. It looks like she is very frustrated. Yeah, she's, she's trying. Having. She's trying. She does not look like she's having a good time. No, she is trying to fix it. She very quickly got introduced to what the big problem was always going to be, which is that she worked at half the speed that a high-level pro fighter needs to fight at. Yeah. and Or half the output, right? rather. And she tried. She That Lupita Godinez fight, she's trying to match. She kind of worked her way up to it by the end of the fight, but even then it was still... Yeah, it's it just... Was, yeah. It's clearly not in her nature at all. She wants yeah. to be a pot shotter. She wants to be a one strike at a time, picking my moment kind of yep. fighter. And she is not a, a good enough positional striker to 
um, to like box out the likes of yeah. like Angela Hill, who will just throw yeah. a bunch of stuff at her. Yeah. Um, therefore, she doesn't. She she can't like. Um, the pace is not low enough in those fights for her to uh, pick her spots on the counter because she she is a good counter puncher. Yeah. Um, and uh, likewise with Godinez, neither is she aggressive enough or high output enough herself to like back people off. No. So she's stuck in this really uncomfortable middle ground of um, anybody who's really aggressive is just going to give her too much information to uh, to process. Yep. Fortunately for her, they found uh, they dug Ashley Yoder up <laughs> out of the hole she's been in for the past couple of years. Uh huh. And throwing her back into the cage, and she is probably at this point now with the more talent, the more the better athletes they've been bringing into the division lately, and all that. Probably the slowest fighter at women's strawweight. Yeah. And has a very old old fashioned meta game low output she is a lot closer to the women dakota was sparking in invicta yeah very swing and cling very just you know not a great wrestler trying to just get a hand on you and win a a, a scramble battle off of getting connected to you mm-hmm. kind of fighter really uncomfortable striking in any yeah. prolonged exchange Yep, slow and and really obvious with her attempts to strike. So yep. you can, so you can see Cody a punch coming, this, and then yes. man, she is really in a world of hurt. Yeah, that will effectively mean that she has been broken by these really yeah. obviously frustrating losses. Because uh, I would really have no difficulty at all picking her if I hadn't seen those losses. Yeah, and I Not still don't have much. I mean, it just no. looks like a super winnable fight. She's got to win this. It's very, very winnable. Yeah. Also, Yoder hasn't fought since 2021. That's why I say I don't know what hole they dug her up out of, but they found they they, they did apparently try to book her against Demopolis last year, uh, in January of last year, and she got injured. That's what uh, tapology. That's what tapology says. All right. Uh, Dakota opened opened at minus 286. Is currently down at minus 366. Yoder opened it plus 243 is currently a plus 304. Um, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, shouldn't be close. It's it's a really obvious fight that Ducote should win. So, yep. I don't even feel really bad about it. Yeah. I All feel right. nothing. <laughs> On that note, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to jump over for just a little tiny bit more uh, bonus material for those of you subscribing to our Substack. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, 
the MMA Vivisection main card and prelims UFC preview shows, the sixth round post-fight show, the Show Money podcast, and the MMA depressed us.